Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. In this message, we hear from guest speaker Joey Fennell. We launched 10K5 this Sunday, which is our initiative to share the gospel every minute of every day. Joey shares on the excuses that we make for why we don't do all that God has for us. What excuses are you making in your life? We're going to have an awesome day today in the Word. I'm excited about this. Um, a good friend of mine, Joey Fennell, most of you probably know him, is actually going to be bringing the Word today. It's really cool that we had prayed and, and felt like today was the day we needed to roll out the 10K5 um, uh, missions opportunities. And then Joey was scheduled to preach today. We asked him, what are you preaching on? And he's like missions. So we're like, okay, that works. Um, and so it's really cool. I know that God is going to speak to our hearts today. Um, he's going to do an awesome work. I would like to say a couple of things about Joey. Not many people know everything that Joey does around our church and, and for us. One of the things he did was he actually was a huge part of us being able to get into this building through the contacts he had and just knowing even where to go to find out about the auditorium and things. Um, when we do these service days, he helps find projects. Um, he, he gets us in touch with families. He gives us equipment and tools and things that we can use um, for that. We use his trailers every Sunday to haul stuff in and out of here. Um, his family every Sunday. When you walk in the doors back here, the, the, the family that's standing there smiling, waving, helping you get your children checked in. That's Joey and Lisa Fennell and their children um, who are a part of, of serving here. Um, just so many things that he does, so many of our lives that he's touched. And I'm really, really excited for him to have an opportunity today to speak into your lives. I think one of the greatest things Joey does is, is he's a friend of mine. Um, and he, he is a brother, true brother in Christ. Um, I love him dearly. And I think he loves me. Um, so it's always cool. And, uh, but been a huge blessing in my life. And I know he'll be a blessing to you today. So I'm going to pray uh, for you. I'm going to pray for the word today. I'm going to pray for Joey. And then he's going to come out and bring the message. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have uh, just to be here today to serve you. Uh, God, that we can even know you, Lord. What a privilege. What an awesome opportunity. Thank you, God, that, that we have opportunity to carry this world, word literally around the world. Lord, um, today I pray for each person here that their hearts would be open to receive your word, that our hearts would be good soul, that we would receive the seed of your word, that it would grow in our lives and impact our lives, Lord. Um, God, I I pray that your word would be powerful today and that it would change hearts and lives through the work of your spirit. Lord, I pray for Joey today that you would uh, speak everything that you would uh, have uh, him speak through him, Lord. And uh, we just give you the glory, Father. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I do love you, man. That's awkward. I'm kidding. We are thankful for Brandon and Susan and their family. What a wonderful pastor and preacher he is and a wonderful leader. And we thank him for all the sacrifices that he has made. We thank Susan more. For all the sacrifices that she makes by living with him on Saturdays. Um, I'm really excited about today, uh, about bringing um, this message to you and um, uh, about, um, it's it's about missions, but it's really about um, how we make excuses not to do things. So stop the excuses is kind of where we're going today. And I'm I'm really excited about sharing with you from Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, but then also Exodus chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And this is really the calling of Moses. And um, some of you, we, we all 
you know, kind of know what Moses did and we remember the stories and we remember what he did in getting the people out of Egypt and the Red Sea and all the kind of cool stuff that happened to Moses and he gets in trouble and all that. But there was a, a very deliberate time that he and God had a conversation and Moses just kept making excuses not to do what God called him to do. And we're going to talk about those and, and kind of how they affect us today as well. But, you know, why is it that we feel that we can offer excuses when it comes to things of God and that would be ridiculous anywhere else? I mean, they, they wouldn't even make sense. Have you ever wondered what would happen if, if we were as intense and committed and determined about church as we are about sports or about other pastimes? Uh, I, I love it when you know, people say, well, you know, it's, it was raining Sunday and we just, just couldn't get going. It's just messy and it was just easier. And they're justifying this in their minds, but we'll, we'll sit with a poncho or no poncho and watch a football game. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, and sinful, but anyway, um, I mean, I'll do it too, you know, but we make excuses all the time. So I, I came with some, I came across a, a couple of things online about excuses that we use in church but using them in the context of a sporting event, all right? So these are excuses that we would use um, in church, but they are geared towards a sporting event. Every time I went, they asked for money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. Okay, just think about that at a Georgia Southern football game. The seats were too hard and uncomfortable. The coach never came to see me. The referee made a decision with which I could not agree. Not going back. I was sitting with some hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. The band played numbers that I'd never heard before. The games were scheduled when I went to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Since I read a book on sports, I feel that I know more than the coaches anyhow. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Just a few excuses that we use. But you need to remember that in Exodus chapter 3, we've seen God tell Moses that he has heard the cry of Israel for deliverance. And that he's now ready to deliver them. And then the surprise comes in verse 10. When God says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we're going to see that Moses needed to stop the excuses. Have you ever responded that way? Does it ever come up? Somebody says, I'd really like for you to be a part of our connect group. Or we'd like for you to lead a connect group. The excuses start. You're asked to serve in the children's area. You know, we kind of need some help in here. You really do good with kids. We'd like to have you. The excuses start. God put on your heart to share your faith with a friend or neighbor. And the excuses start. You're made aware of someone with a need that you could provide. The excuses start. In fact, if you're asked to do just about anything for God, the excuses start. Sometimes I'm too busy. I'm already doing this. Get somebody else. And speaking of the rain, I was taking my dog out this morning and it was raining pretty good. It was coming down and we have a little creek that goes 
cuts our, our yard in half with our, our mother-in-law's yard and it hasn't had water in it, you know, since 2001. And, um, finally I thought water that's awesome. And I was watching it kind of go through and, and it was looking at some rocks as the water was washing over these rocks. And I was thinking about, you know, I think when, when it rains, it reminds me that yes, it's blessings and it, it, it brings about life and that sort of thing. But also as it washes things away, it exposes things. It exposes things in our lives. And I think when we begin to make excuses and what we'll see what Moses faced is that as he made these excuses, God continued to peel back the layers. He continued to wash over Moses until there was nothing there left to excuse. And I think that's what God does in our lives sometimes. Sometimes our excuses pile up so much that we can't do anything for God. Sometimes our excuses um, get in the way of us doing things for God. Another one I like is I'm just, I'm just too old. I've done everything I need to do. And a couple of weeks ago, we have this routine of getting our kids to bed and it works pretty good. Get our eight year old son in the bed a little bit before our 12 and 13 year old girls. And so he's down and we're uh, going back and forth and getting the girls in their beds. And I'm walking out and they're upstairs and I'm walking. And as I'm walking to the stairwell to go downstairs, I'm thinking in my mind, and I don't know why this crossed my mind. I was thinking, you know, I can remember my dad when he was 40. When he turned 40, I can remember that as a child. I was thinking, I'm 40. I can remember that. But, you know, I feel pretty good at 40. I feel kind of spry. So I step on the first step, and both feet come out from under me. And I bounce down about seven steps, just boom, 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 boom. And I'm just thinking, oh God, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to break everything in my body. I don't know how to stop this. You know, I don't, there's no brakes. I'm putting my arms out. I look like a, a, just a flailing, I don't know what it was. It was just, was not pretty at all. It just bounced down and stopped. You know, I'm just waiting, you know, there's that silence. And then all the steps start, you know, at least it comes around the corner. Are you all right? All right. You know, and just try not to laugh, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, is everything in its place? Is there things sticking out? Is there, what's going on here? And I was thinking, why was I thinking about being spry? Am I really that old that I can't even walk down steps now? And I just think that was one of God's ways of going, um, pay attention to me, you know, and, um, or watch your step. It might've been that simple. Um, so we're going to look at five excuses that Moses had. The first excuse for our note takers, type A's, I'm going to try to be as concise as possible so you can have a number one with excuse one. Excuse one is the who me, who me, who me excuse. Exodus chapter three, beginning with verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses no doubt remembers his earlier failures. If you know the story of Moses, you remember this, but Stephen relates the story in the book of Acts chapter seven, Acts chapter seven, beginning with verse 23. I think it's going to be on the sky Bible, so you don't have to turn to it. But when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, 
You are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses tried this deliverance thing 40 years earlier, it didn't go so well. Nobody believed him, nor did they listen to him. If they did believe Moses 40 years prior, why should they believe him now? And it's really a terrible thing to believe that when we speak, no one is going to listen to us. But the past is redeemable. The past can be changed. God reconciles things in our lives. And Moses is terrified, as we are terrified, about rejection, about being rejected, going to someone and saying, this is what I really think. And for the response to be, you're an idiot. I don't believe you. It's just rejection. People from my past, I remember this, coming out of college and going into the ministry and serving as, you know, 13 years as a youth minister um, at, at, you know, different churches. And I can remember going back home from time to time in Brunswick and, and saying, you know, or my parents would say, I ran into so-and-so, I told them what you were doing, and they seemed surprised. Yeah. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, like, he's what? He's doing what? And... It was constantly proof to me that our past is redeemable. God changes things. God changes things about us. And God answered Moses in verse 12 and he said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So Moses' first excuse expressed doubt in himself. His second excuse though expressed his doubt in God. So excuse number two, by what authority? By what authority? In verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God didn't ask Moses to go and explain what he did not know about God. He asked him to go and explain what he did know about God. God responds in verses 14 and 15. This is the famous verse a lot of us have heard. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. How many parents are in here? How many parents? All right. Quite a few of us. How many times have you uttered the phrase, because I said so? A couple times. Yeah. That doesn't always go so well. We think that it does, but for our more intuitive children, they look at you like, so what? Because you said so. Who are you? You know, as our media kind of teaches our kids to, you know, flame up at us and and do things like that as well. But, you know, God didn't even answer that way. Kind of did, kind of not. And I'm thinking, what if we answered our kids like that? Daddy, why do I have to do that? Because I am said so. I am. Who are you? I am. I am. 
I think they would look at us like we had two heads. And I think this is kind of what Moses, I am, who, who's I am? I mean, that's like a, this mixture of pronouns that just don't work. And he's thinking, who is I, I am, I is, you is, you are, who are you? What? Give me a name, God. I am. I am what? I am. And it, it's, it's really, a, I think, a cool answer because God told Moses that it doesn't have to do with who you are, but it has to do with who I am. And when it comes to, to missions and doing these types of things that we're talking about this summer and, and leading up to this summer, I think so many times we think that it is, it is about us. We think that it's, um, you know, about what we can get it about, out, it, out of it. It's not about you. Had an interesting um, conversation. Um, my family, we went to the Bahamas this past weekend. Um, we were down there helping with Operation Christmas Child. Um, some of you remember our announcement a couple of weeks ago where um, 14,000 boxes have been delivered down there by Operation Christmas Child. However, they didn't pay to have them delivered to the individual islands. So we've been working on that, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but we go down there, and, and Raul and I were, were talking, and Raul was the one who preached here back in November, the missionary down there, and we were talking about it. And he said, well, I need to ask you about something. One of the groups came down here um, and, that you sent down here, and, and one, of the, one of the kids in the group said that um, they really weren't sure if they were going to come back because they didn't get really all that they thought that they would get out of it. I thought, what? He said, yeah, I thought the same thing. I said, did you drown them? He said, no, thought about it. I said, you feed them to the lobsters or something like that? He said, no. But I, I began to think about it. We've taught people that. And I can remember saying things like this, that, you know, when you go on a mission trip, you're going to get a lot more out of it than the people you serve. Haven't we said that? It's going to be so awesome. I mean, the people you're serving is great, but you're just going to walk away so blessed by it. So we set people up with this expectation that if you go on a mission trip, you're going to get something out of it. So we take away the entire reason why we're supposed to go, which is to serve God, not serve ourselves. I think we, we kind of suck if we think that we're supposed to go there and get something for ourselves. Will it happen? Most likely but I think if we go with the attitude saying, you know, I'm going to sit back and just see what happens. And what Raul said with these two girls who had complained about it, I said, well, what did they do all week? They said they watched. They pretty much watched. They didn't really participate or do anything that the, other, the rest of the group was doing. They were just kind of sponges, as he said it. It's sad. Missions doesn't build character. It reveals character. I ripped that off of a new movie that's coming out. It's a cool fo football movie that's coming out, like a docudrama. Saw the previews, and he said, football doesn't build character. It reveals character. I think that can be used in so many different ways because that's what missions does. It doesn't build character. We don't go on a mission trip to become a better Christian. It reveals what God's already doing in our lives. So what's the reason why so many people aren't committed to God, aren't committed to it? I truly believe that they may not really know who Jesus is. They've not had an experience with Jesus to change their hearts in order to be able to walk out and go, I need to serve. I have to serve because of what Christ has done for me. 
We sort of know about him, but like the Hebrews in Egypt, we've lost track of who God is. He's not this grandfather figure sitting on a throne, merely watching our antics and turning his blind eye and deaf ear to our language and winking at our sin. He's not only the giver of life, he is life. And when God tells Moses that I am who I am, he's literally saying that I am he who was and is and always will be. Or I will continue to be what I've always been. Excuse number three. Excuse number three, the what ifs. The what ifs. These are the really, really the good ones. In chapter four, beginning with verse one. What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? What if? And it was totally hypothetical. Moses' response was, what if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer to it? What if I don't know when people ask me this, I really can't lead a group because if somebody asks me about something, I've got to have the answer. You don't. You just promise to try to help them find it. God did not ask us to know everything to come follow him. He just said, follow me. Excuses give us second best most of the time. Moses was so concerned about what might happen that he didn't hear what God say would happen. Even when he proved himself to him three different times, three different times in this text, first his his staff turns to a serpent and back again, beginning in verse two, he says, then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it appropriately. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Psycho. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they might, they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God asked Moses what he had, not something he did not have. What is in your hand? God uses what we have. And I want to say to you is this is a, a little aside about how God has gifted us, that we are all gifted by God. I think we're born with talents, and when we come into a relationship with Christ, we realize that those talents are gifts. They're gifts given to us by God, and then we're supposed to use them for his glory. And there are three ways that I want to tell you to know what your gifts are. And this is not, you know, there are all those spiritual inventories out there. Anybody taken a spiritual inventory before? Come on, raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Golly. It's sad, isn't it? Do we have to take an inventory to know what our gift is? But again, that's what we teach. I remember when I first went into ministry, I was with a, on a, a council retreat with our youth and I had the spiritual inventories out and I was ready to bubble in some answers and we were bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. I got finished with it and I had a zero in mercy. Zero. Now I'm a therapist. Can God do miraculous things? I was the most merciless person ever to be called into ministry, I think. How do you get a zero? You don't care about anyone, basically, is what it said to me. It's like, this is perfect. Thank you for calling me into the ministry, God. Let's get some work done. 
But we don't have to have a spiritual inventory. I'm going to give you three ways, three ways to know what your gifts are. The first one is what are your opportunities? What are the opportunities that God places in front of you each and every day? Opportunities, sometimes we get those misconstrued. Like when I was in college here at Georgia Southern, my roommate and I, we were, you know, we're struggling college students and we were, you know, it was kind of before Christ and, um, not literally by, you know, date, but by my lifestyle. And, um, so on Saturdays, well, during the week, we would kind of pay attention to this, but on Saturdays we would find weddings that were going on. I know, you know, I've never said that to this many people before. I've shared it with some people in private and then killed them. But we would go to people's weddings so we could eat at the reception. Sometimes we would just go to the reception, which was a lot easier. We didn't sit through the wedding, you know. Um, and it was according to where it was. You know, if it was, you know, usually at a church, then everybody's invited. So you could just kind of mingle in. And, and then, then it got a little bit more where we would, you know, go through the receiving line and, make up a story about where we met the person. They would just smile and, and nod. It was, it was sick, really sad. I don't know why I just told you all that. But anyway, those are not the opportunities I'm talking about. All right. So that's an illustration of let's do the opposite of this. But opportunities that God places in front of us, things that are right there for us, people who walk in our paths, people that we know God is wanting us to speak to, things that keep coming up and keep coming up and keep coming up, and we just need to invest in those. The second one is what are you obsessed about? I think we get obsessed about some stupid things sometimes. And I don't, you know, don't send me any emails if I offend anybody, but we we went to the movies yesterday and saw Big Miracle. Anybody seen it yet? really good movie, but it's about saving the whales. Again, don't send me an email, any Greenpeace people in here, please don't. But they spent like $3 million on saving these three whales and only got two out of the three. One of them died. All right. No, don't be offended. My point is if we get, if we could get that obsessed about sharing our faith, that obsessed about feeding the hungry, that obsessed about helping those who need help and equipping those, we could change the world with just this group if we all agreed. This past week when we were in the Bahamas, we've been doing a ton of work in a couple of the villages over there, just trying to get the roofs to not leak, trying to to paint where we could paint, trying to just help people have a, a safe place to live. And it's so difficult. Anytime you, you, get, you do anything over there, you've got to take it over by boat. You've got to ship it. If you pay $20 for it in the States, you've got to pay $10 in duty to get it over there. So it's, you know, it, it turns out to be so expensive to do anything over there. So we've been doing all this work in this village. And, and Raul and Karen have been gone for a month. Um, with she was having some dental surgery and they've been speaking all over the United States at different churches. So they've been gone for about a month. So we went back into this village and rode in there. And as we're driving in, we can kind of see that something doesn't look right. And we're going into this place and it's just a little path basically and the van's just rocking back and forth in the rocks. And we get there and four houses had burned in the past week. Just a fire had caught in one of the houses and they're so close together, four of them had burned completely to the ground. And we're just standing there going, God, really? We've tried so hard to get ahead. And now this, totally destroyed. Fire department doesn't even go. I mean, when they get the call, they're like, well, it'll be over in a few minutes. 
can't even get a fire truck back where it is and, and don't bother going anyway because they know they can't do anything about it. But what are you obsessed about? Really, what are you obsessed about? The third is, what are your obstacles? I think this is the, the largest of the three. What are your obstacles? What's in your way? Are you trying to do something and every time you try to do it, something gets in your way? Because if you think that your decision to follow Christ is going to make everybody happy, you're smoking crack probably. They crucified Jesus. They'll crucify you too. And especially the people who are closest to us, family members. Many of you live in a, in a household who, whose parents are not saved and, and are just, you know, always saying something about it. A lot of you live that way. Last week leading up to our trip to the Bahamas, holy moly. You remember two weeks ago when Brandon made the plea for, you know, trying to help financially and paying for fuel for this boat that had been donated to the ministry to take it down there. So our plan was to do that all along, to get the boat down there and, you know, raising money. And um, it, was, it was kind of funny as everybody was leaving two weeks ago, I'm standing over there by the box. It's funny how, you know, when people don't want to give, they won't make eye contact with you. And they're just like walking by. Don't look at him. Don't look at him. He'll take your wallet. And um, it's so it's so funny. It's like you know I, I don't really care if you don't give. I can't hide from God. To, no, I'm just kidding. Um, he'll strike you down. Um, so we're trying to do this, and on like Monday they're having a few problems with the boat, and and it's actually my dad and his friend is the one who gave the boat, and my dad's been helping him get it ready. He's retired and, and he's having a good time doing this, so they were going to take it. On Wednesday, from here, or from Darien, down to uh, Riviera Beach in West Palm. So that was the plan all. And they're going to take it down there. We were going to meet them there on Friday night, go through the boat, jump on it Saturday morning, and go the 46 miles across to Grand Bahama. That was the plan. That was Monday. Tuesday, had a little issue with some overheating problems. Wednesday, had another issue with some overheating problems, so they hadn't left yet. So Thursday morning, everything's ready. We're going to go. It takes 16 hours. We're just going to go as hard as we can on Thursday. All day Friday, we'll be there when you get there. Thursday, about 3 o'clock, they call, and um, it's still overheating. We hadn't left yet. Really, God? What's going on here? Obstacles, obstacles, obstacles. Finally, Friday morning, they said, we just can't make it. It's just not going to go. It's not ready. Um, Coast Guard won't put the sticker on it with it overheating still like this. We're going to have to do something else. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, really? So we ended up driving all the way to Fort Lauderdale, taking the fast ferry over to be able to still help with this Operation Christmas Child thing. And it probably worked out good because the seas were 6 to 10 feet Saturday, which would not have been good in the 34-foot boat, but we're okay in the 300-foot boat, a little bit better. And... But I kept wondering, why, why are you doing this, God? Why is this going on? What, what's the deal here? I still don't have the answer. Next time I preach, I'll let you know what it is. <clears throat> but when God calls, we're tempted to, to, to put our assets, our abilities in one column and our limitations in another one and determine if that's indeed what God's called us to do. Kind of this pros and cons thing. So God's not interested in that, I don't think. God often allows us to enter a place when we feel confident and we flounder and fail. But I think he likes putting us in places where we feel inadequate, totally inadequate. 
until we go, you know, God, I don't have anything for this. You're the one that's going to have to do this. I think that's where God wants us. And when we face more obstacles and more obstacles and we finally step back and, you know, God, I've tried everything I can do. And he looks at us and goes, finally, will you let me do it? I think that's where God wants us. So God's command to Moses is simple. Throw it down. Okay, that's simple enough. He throws it down, throws the stick down. Because of his obedience, it becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up. I don't know about you, but that's a little more difficult. I don't do snakes. I think the best snakes are dead snakes. That's a cliche, but if you like the whales and the snakes, I'm sorry about today. Pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. Now that was difficult, but Moses obeyed. And the snake again became a rod. And his faith was strengthened. So next, Moses is given the signs of his hand being made leprous. In verses 6 through 7, you know, God says to Moses, put your, put your hand inside your bosom. Now take it out. Leprosy. Holy moly. Can you imagine that? Okay, God, now what? Put it back in. It's well again. Cool trick, God. What else you got? It's kind of like what Moses was saying. I mean, how many times does God have to prove himself to him? So then he turns water into blood. Great party trick. Kind of strange all at the same time. Um, not a lot of uses for that. But again, he reveals himself to Moses and he tells Moses of his desire to deliver the people. Promises him success and gives him three signs so that the people will believe him. And it's still not enough. The fourth one, a lot of us have heard this one and a lot of us even use this. But Lord, I don't speak so well. In verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses now says, I'm not an eloquent speaker and I talk funny. He may have had a slow tongue, but he seems to be fast enough with his excuses, doesn't he? He's letting those fly just fine. Even Stephen in Acts 7.22 says to Moses, says about Moses that he was powerful in speech and action. The Lord responds to Moses in verse 11 and 12. The Lord said to him, who gave, a human, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Our inadequacies are not a problem for God. He made us the way we are to be used by him. Excuse number five. Excuse number five. Send somebody else. Moses in a conversation with God, says, send somebody else. In verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. No matter what signs, no signs, whether God promises to be with him or not, Moses did not want to go. The last objection was not based on even the, the slimmest shred of reason whatsoever. Moses just does not want to do it. 
Moses is simply putting his foot down and telling God, no. Exodus 4.14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. What does that mean? That seems a little scary. Since he parts seas and all, I'm thinking his anger might be a little harsh. Put this down in your notes. Get this in our heads today. Sink this truth into your heart. God becomes angry at our excuses. God becomes angry at our excuses. It's not because the Lord has patience for four questions, but five is too many. Okay? It's not like, I'll give you four, but if you do five, it's on. I don't think that's what God was saying. Moses is refusing to trust God's answer. And when God, when Moses begs God to send someone else, he's in effect telling the Lord, I don't trust you. This angers God. Has anyone here ever been flicked off? You don't have to have a show of hands. Everybody knows what that is, right? I'm not going to show you because it'll be on YouTube. Like within four seconds, it will be on YouTube. Um, a few weeks ago, I was pulling to Walgreens right over here, going through the parking lot, and there's girls backing out of a parking place. The last time I checked the rule on that is that she's supposed to wait on me to go by. So I'm going by, she's backing up, backing up, and she's, she's coming. She's going to hit me. So I'm like, honk the horn. She looks at me, flicks me off. I'm like, really? So a guy snatched her out of the car. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I wanted to. I can't stand to be flicked off. Not that it happens every day or anything. I don't offend everybody. But I mean, she, she flicked me off. And I was like, what? was that about? And, you know, most of my flicking off getting happens around vehicles. And, and, you know, last time I preached, I told the story about one of my pet peeves is don't pull out in front of me and turn. Okay. So if you see me coming, please don't turn it and pull out and then put your blinker on to turn, you know, cause I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to run over you. Okay. And <laughs> One of the things that, that happens a lot when people pull out in front of me, I try, I'll take my foot off the gas, but it's my goal not to touch the brake pedal, okay? It's just a little game I play. I think it's fun. Lisa, not so much. She doesn't think it's a fun game. She's like, are you just trying to make a point? Yeah. Get as close as I possibly can to them until they flick me off, you know, and then I, I back off. But let me give you the, the definition of the middle finger, all right? I came up with this on my own. The definition of the middle finger, this is clean, so don't put your hands over your kids' ears. I have, I have something or am doing something more important than what you have or what you're doing. That's my definition of the middle finger. I have something or I'm doing something more important than what you have or what you're doing. Moses telling God no is basically Moses giving God the middle finger. And I think when we say no to God, when we give him excuses and we say, you know, I, I just, 
Not today, God. Really, I can't. I can't go on one of these trips. I can't give money. I can't pray. We're just giving him the middle finger. I know that seems harsh, but in our day and time, I think we can draw, you know, a pretty clear picture of what that looks like. But that's what we're doing to God. We're saying what I'm doing right now, God, is really more important than what you're calling me to do. So, bam, we give it to him. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. It burned against Moses. So not only do excuses anger God, they also cause discouragement within the body of Christ. Excuses force the few to carry the weight of the many. And no matter how good our church is, no matter how awesome is, that percentage never seems to change from church to church to church to church. There will always be the few doing the most amount of work. And I want us to change that. I want this church to be one that people look at and go, how many people do you have serving? Are y'all paying them? Giving their offering back? What are you doing? I mean, why, why do so many people want to serve? And I want our answer to be because we preach the truth. We preach the word of God that says we are called according to his purposes. His purposes are not for us to feel good. His purposes are for us to serve and be in fellowship with him and to serve his people. That's what he's called us to do. We don't need somebody else to do what God has called us to do. I've said this so many times, God will do what he is going to do in spite of us. But wouldn't it be better for him to do it through us? He will find somebody to accomplish his works. Wouldn't you rather it be you than your neighbor? Wouldn't you rather it be you than some other group of people? I certainly would. But fear creeps in and, and I don't talk so good, God. I don't want to talk in front of people. Or any of these excuses that Moses gave, we use them all the time. In the later part of verse 14, God says to Moses, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way. He'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. So God accommodated Moses. Such an interesting part of scripture to me. God accommodated Moses' lack of faith. But it was a compromise. Remember the story? Moses was God's man for the job. And he told Moses that his brother Aaron would be allowed to assist him. But once the children of Israel left Egypt, Aaron got his brother and the children of Israel in serious trouble. It was Aaron who led the children of Israel into making an idol. While Moses on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments. When we make excuses and do half of what God has called us to do, things get messy and they don't go so smooth. But we see a breakthrough. Moses finally, finally responds in obedience in Exodus chapter four, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. He ultimately did as the Lord asked. 
Over two million people's lives were changed because of that. Think about all the things that happened because of, of his obedience, finally his obedience. People walked out of save, slavery. And when we walk in obedience, we too will touch the lives of those around us. But I think we walk out of slavery when we obey what God has called us to do. When we're obedient to God and we say, God, here am I, send me. I don't know where. I don't know if it's one of these three or four trips or if it's somewhere right here, if it's somewhere after lunch, if it's somewhere for lunch, send me. Help me see what you have in store for me. cost of obedience is nothing when compared with the cost of disobedience. It can get really, really rough. But let me challenge you today. It's either I can't or I won't. I can't do it right now. Seriously, it's probably I won't do it right now. I don't have time. I just don't want to. If that is your attitude of I'm not going to make time to serve God, if you're thinking about 10,080 hours or the 10,055, I've totally butchered that whole concept. All the hours we're not here. If you're not feeling drawn to do what God has called you to do, today might be the day you need to meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who walks and plunders through our lives. The one that brings that rain that washes through us and exposes those excuses. And Jesus looks at them one by one and says, that's not a good one. No, that's not going to fly either. Nope, not that one. No, that's ridiculous. Jesus is the one that transforms those excuses into opportunities exposes our opportunities, exposes our obsessions and all the obstacles that are in front of us so we can say, here am I, send me. So maybe today, this is the day that you say, I don't feel guilty about not serving God. You don't know Jesus. You don't know Jesus if you don't feel guilty about not serving God. I can't put it any more simply and and more plain than that. We cannot have a relationship with Christ and not have a desire to serve him and to serve his people. That's what he's called us to do. So maybe today this is what you need to do. Our prayer team is gonna be over here to my left, to your right at those doors. And maybe today you need to talk to somebody and say, I I need to, to have that relationship with him. What an awesome opportunity to do that. A great time to do that. Maybe today's the day you just need to pray and say, God, I don't know which one of these trips you want me to go on. I don't know if you know if you want me to go on one of these trips. But when we start making those excuses, like it's just so much money, but we'll spend $1,500 on travel, ice hockey, indoor flag football, whatever we're doing, right? But we won't spend and sacrifice what God's given us to serve him. Let's get our priorities right. Let's blow this place up. And I don't mean this auditorium, which at times would be nice because it, well, it's a nice auditorium. I'm talking about this community, this world. 
let's blow it up for Christ. So people will look at us and go, what are they doing over there? What is so different about that? The truth. The truth that God gives to us is not hidden in his word. I think it's very evident what God has called us to do. Let's pray together.